you know, whenever people talk to me about prophecies regarding the end times and the final judgment, like, you know, particulars regarding, you know, when it's going to happen and whatnot, I always tell them to not waste their time. First of all, because the gospel basically invites us to do precisely that, right? So think about, for example, Gospel of Mark chapter 13, right? Even the Son of Man knows not the, the day or the hour. But also because, you know, practically speaking, it is a waste of our time. And so to explain this point, I often use the analogy of eyesight, right? And so when you think about your own eyesight, obviously your field of vision is broad, right? So you can see a bunch of things at the same time. But at the same time, your focal point is narrow, right? And so if I'm looking here, therefore I'm not looking over there. And the same principle applies when it comes to the spiritual life, right? So all of us have a limited amount of time and energy and attention. And the whole idea is that if I apply these things in the wrong direction, for example, to empty speculations as to when the world's going to end, that's that much less energy and time and attention I have to apply to things that actually matter, right? Things like the duty of the moments, you know, the demand of love, the truth which calls me to conversion. And we find this particular point further expounded upon in this really famous story from the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And so with regards to this particular story, the basic plot is relatively straightforward, right? So Lazarus is basically this poor man who's suffering and dying on the doorstep of this house of this rich man who's inside feasting sumptuously. And when they die, they had different fates, right? So Lazarus is taken up into heaven by the angels and is comforted on the bosom of Abraham. Whereas the rich young man, not so much. So he's sentenced to eternal damnation. Now, what's interesting is that the rich man, even though he's kind of resigned to his fate, so he's not trying to get out, he implores Abraham to warn his brothers to avoid a similar fate. And his argument is like, look, if you, if you come back, Abraham, and warn my brothers, surely they will listen to someone who has come back from the dead. In response to which Abraham basically says to him, look, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they listen, even if someone comes back from the dead. Now, obviously, this reference to someone coming back from the dead, it's a not-so-subtle allusion to the resurrected Christ, right? And in particular, it speaks to this great ongoing tragedy whereby you know, Christ has truly come back from the dead, but still people don't listen to him, people don't believe it's true, people refuse to repent. But, you know, that said, with all due respect, I think the more pressing line, the more important line in the context of the story is not so much the reference to someone coming back from the dead, but rather the reference to Moses and the prophets. Because if you think about it, the takeaway message in a certain sense is that the truth, you know, the truth which reveals reality to ourselves and which calls us and pulls us and urges us to conversion, is meant to be discovered primarily through ordinary means. You know, things like the duty of the moments, the teachings of the Holy Catholic Church with regards to faith and morals, the dictates of our own conscience. And more to the point, the, the main conclusion of the story seems to be that we cannot use as an excuse, you know, at the end times, at the final judgment, this idea that we didn't know the truth, or we didn't correspond to the truth because the truth didn't come to us through supernatural means, like the burning bush, like the voice in the clouds, like, you know, the lips of someone back from the dead. Okay, so to illustrate the point, I want to share with you a pastoral situation that I encountered over the past couple of years, but I'll change the facts slightly to kind of protect the innocent, if you will. And so as the story goes, this young lady was talking to me in the office, and she was basically living a promiscuous lifestyle, kind of sleeping around and whatnot. And funny enough, she tried to rationalize her behavior by saying, like, look, I, I need more proof. I need God to prove himself to me, failing in which I won't do what he says, right? And so the rationale seemed to be that unless God proved himself through some supernatural manifestation of grace, uh, she wouldn't believe in his church, she wouldn't believe in him, she wouldn't believe and correspond to his truth. And in response, I sort of called her on her bluff, kind of saying, well, look, you don't actually need to wait for the Lord to, to prove himself to you. 
you know what you're doing is wrong. And you know it for a couple of reasons. First of all, because the church reveals it to be such, right? The mind of the church and the mind of Christ are both one and the same. But secondly, because you know it in your own heart. You know it in your conscience, right? You know it because you feel unsettled, but also because you're not happy, right? You feel sad, empty, lost, and confused. All these things which are the natural consequence of sin. So the invitation, the challenge, is to simply do what you know to be right. Okay, one final note, and I'll kind of end with this. And so recently I was on Instagram and I was browsing through various reels, like watching short videos and whatnot. And I came across this really interesting video, which was basically a snippet from a longer interview of Jordan Peterson. Uh, Jordan Peterson, of course, being this really famous Canadian psychologist, really prominent on social media and whatnot. And basically he was talking about prayer, but he framed it in terms of meditation. And so basically what he said was this, if you want to know something about yourself, sit in your bed. And you got to mean this. You got to be desperate. This is no game, this. Sit in your bed and say, look, man, I'm ready to learn something about myself. What's one thing I'm doing wrong that I know to be wrong, that I could fix, that I would fix? Something will occur to you, and it won't be the thing that you want, but it'll be the necessary thing. So again, something will occur to you. It won't be what you want, but it'll be the necessary thing. And my suggest everyone, that's a really good prayer to pray, not just once, but like over and over again. You know, again, some variation of like, look, Lord, what's the, the obvious thing that I'm doing wrong that I could fix and I would fix, right? Again, something will come to you. You might not like it, but it will be necessary. Shades of the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, right? So just to kind of paraphrase that particular quote, the idea is like, where is God's truth? Where is God's truth for me? It's not there in the heavens. It's not beyond my reach, right? It's in my heart. It's in my soul. It's in my conscience. All I need to do is to look, to obey, and to correspond. And may God bless you all.